You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. I'm your host, Brandon. This is episode 88. And today I have another special guest with me. This time it's S.E. Nash, a visual artist and teacher in New York City, and also one of the attendees in Sanders' three-week residency program. So thank you, Nash, for agreeing to share your experience and welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me on. So you attended his three-week program. I really want to get into talking about this, but first, maybe we just get a little bit more of understanding about who you are, kind of what do you do, and how you kind of got into this fermentation thing and decided to commit to like three weeks. Yeah, as you said, I'm a visual artist, and I think what drew me to fermentation in the beginning was this idea of you know, transformation and capturing wild uh, organisms and to see what they do um, visually and for food transformation and food production. So earlier this year, read Michael Pollan's book, Cooked, and of course, Chad Robertson and Sandra Katz in the descriptions of them in the book really fascinated me. I from there, I started a sourdough starter and was just completely in awe of what I could do with flour and water at home. So just the simplicity of that and this magical world of microbes that are acting as unseen forces on us and our food. So I you know, got into more into fermentation, started looking it up online. And found Sandra Katz's website, Wild Fermentation. I got his book, uh, The Art of Fermentation, and kept returning to the website and eventually saw that there was a, a residency uh, happening in the summer and immediately applied for it because I knew right away that it was something that would change change my life. So it sounds like you really kind of came into this uh, relatively fresh. I mean, obviously having done your research and read different stuff, but when you saw that, was it was just something that you just jumped for and, and knew this was something you wanted to do. Yeah, well, I had have worked a lot as a, a chef in my own home and with food uh, for, for a long time, but knew very little about fermentation until the start of this year, um, late last year. And, you know, earlier as a teenager, I became aware of alternative food movements. So I was a vegetarian and a vegan, starting from about uh, probably 14. And in Memphis, where I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, I started working with Food Not Bombs occasionally to, you know, make food to, to give out. And that got me into, you know, alternative food movements. Throughout college, I worked at a food co-op in Knoxville, Tennessee. And so I was always involved in understanding, you know, where food was coming from and sort of resisting, you know, mainstream food culture. Then after graduate school, I went to graduate school for fine art. I worked at a, a wine store and became their beer buyer and started doing you know, tastings and curating dinners with brewmasters. And so I had a lot of fun doing things related to fermentation, but was you know, tasting it and cooking at home more than I was actually involved in, in understanding what fermentation was. 
Okay, so that makes that makes even more sense now. I think like seeing the 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 backdrop of of yeah, I think that especially for myself too, it was kind of something where um, awareness of food kind of happened around the same time as fermentation um, for me. And it sounds like for you, it was, it was you know a, a little bit farther along, but you already had this all bubbling. It was all all there and ready to go. Yeah, it was all it was all fermenting, and you know through my love of of beer um, that. And knowing knowing quite a bit about beer uh, styles and production, and being really interested in lambics and wild uh, wild flavors, it was a totally natural thing for me to get into fermentation after um, having had experience in in at least the taste of all of these fermented things, and it just clicked reading. Michael Pollan and and then reading Sandra Katz's book and that was that was a total revelation. Just reading that book, um, I think, would be the first thing I'd recommend to anyone who wants to get into fermentation but needs to get into the narrative first. Very true. I mean, yeah, that is uh, excellent. I mean, that's really kind of the way because yeah, there are a lot of uh, how to books and and things, recipes, things to get people started doing this kind of stuff, but. The overarching story that uh, Sandra Katz has in the art of fermentation is is awesome. And you also mentioned the uh, Wild Fermentation website, and I don't think I mentioned it enough, but it's a great resource too. I think for uh, I'm assuming maybe you were looking in the in the forums and reading from there. Well, there's a yeah, sure, and there's a, a sidebar that lists all of his events and activities, so you can go on there and and see. That's pretty much the place to know what. I think what Sandor's doing and where he's going to be in the world and what's closest to you is to go to that sidebar on, on uh, wild fermentation and look. And it's crazy to see how many places he is visiting throughout the year. Yeah. And, and so actually the residency is a kind of a way for him to be at home for the summer. So that's, that's one aspect of, of what, of why he's doing it, I think is because he wants to, uh, kind of come back home for at least a couple of months uh, during the summer. Wow, and he still sticks with it and sharing more more knowledge. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so just tell us, like the the bird's eye view. I mean, how awesome was Sander Katz's residency program? It was magical. I mean, it was completely magical. I think everyone who attended. There were eleven mainstays. There were you know visitors beyond the eleven, but there were. 11 people who stayed there for the three weeks and the first day it was just to be there in the woods, you know, setting up your tent and the whole environment of it is just really alive with the ideas of fermentation. So you're spending time um, at this workshop cabin and uh, he's building some gardens, you know, it still has some, things being built and improvements are taking shape because he hasn't done it. But the, our, our residency was the first one um, of its kind. The, the, there was one before it that I think they were building the space out. Um, so we, you know, helped build the garden that will provide food for future residency goers. And so that's getting started. So it's still taking shape in different ways. And I imagine they'll continue to do that. Um, but it's, it's this heavenly pace and, you know, you, you get to just slow down, spend time thinking about, you know, 
and learning about food fermentation from Sandor, of course, and, and also from everybody else who's there. So you're, you're camping out outside of this cabin, and maybe yeah. you could just clear up for us. I, I, I followed up on it a little bit, but uh, when we originally started corresponding, it was, it was you very kindly sent in a correction. I had incorrectly referred to it as Sandor's cabin. So he doesn't live there. Um, could you just kind of clear up? Like, So this is a learning space cabin, and, and what's the idea behind the cabin itself? Does it do anything beyond just these residencies? I don't think so. Maybe we'd have to ask him specifically, but no, I don't, I don't think so. I think it is meant um, as a place, you know, just for these residencies. And I think maybe, you know, people live like one person lives there. They, they weren't currently there, but we had a, we had sort of a residency uh, facilitator who stayed there, but Sandor went to his house uh, to sleep. So, yeah, so it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful cabin with a very large, gorgeous kitchen and a room for us to eat in and a beautiful porch and a room to sit in and you know, read or hang out. And then there's a kind of a loft space that I'm not sure what the plan for the loft space is yet, but it's, it's not big enough for people to stay in, but it's perfect place to hang out all day when the summer sun is is shining and it's you know a little too hot to be outside the whole day but it was perfectly cool and wonderful and so what did your days look like it sounds like you're you were doing some some work and and building the gardens and doing other things like that i mean were you eating and learning about fermentation pretty much all day long or what was kind of the flow? No. Yeah. So San, Sandor's kind of insistent, like we can't do this all day long. You know, we can't spend the whole day in the kitchen. So it's, it's actually perfect in the sense that you wake up in the morning, you know, there was time to do your own thing uh, before about 11 and around 11 o'clock, um, we would start making lunch or those who had volunteered to, you know, to make a lunch would start working on that. And then Sandor would come around, I think, 12 or 1 and we would all have lunch at, you know, whatever point it was ready. In the kitchen, there was our, our main workspace was like was a giant island counter that was about eight feet by three feet long. And that would just get filled up with a, a feast of you know, lunch and other ferments that would, you know, con- fermented condiment type things. So misos from previous years or, you know, sauerkraut or pickles or whatever had shown up um, and had been around to try, you know, uh, old, some older kraut cheese that, that had been around. I mean, it was, it was a feast every day at lunch. So after that, we would have class and Sandor would usually talk about fermentation for a certain amount of time. And then we would get into the uh, making of whatever it was. And we covered about everything you can think of uh, covering in, in a residency. So with three weeks, you have a lot of time to to do many, many things and see the results of those things over time. At the very beginning, we started out, you know, making our yogurt because we were going to be eating yogurt for the rest, for, you know, the whole residency for breakfast. Um, we started out making a sourdough pancake and then we got into things that would take uh, a little bit longer, like miso or tempeh or um, some of the beverages, of course. We did 
lots of traditional beverages, including uh, Tosquino, Chicha, uh, uh, the Korean beverage, Makgeolli. Is that, are you familiar with that one? I don't believe I am. Uh, or no, is that kind of like a rice beer? It's Yeah, it's rice. We, we added sweet potato and rice. Um, we did sorghum. We did you know rye bread kvass. We did beet kvass. I mean, we were constantly making beverages and things that that were had long term goals. <laughs> like, all right, we know this is going to be done in in two weeks. We have to start it now. So the beginning of the residency was just packed with with planning ahead in some ways. Like, you know, going ahead and starting the things that we knew we were going to take a. a a longer time. So that's that's great. So a lot of the things you actually got to try, because I think that's sometimes the challenge of some of these uh, weekend workshops or different things for fermentation that does take time. You need a lot of time so people learn how to do something, but then they're set off on their own to actually find out if it actually worked and, and everything, whereas you're actually getting to see from beginning to end. Was there anything that you started that you were not able to see through to finish? We did a country wine and a mead that we bottled. So, you know, we did get to to bottle those things, but we also got to try things from his cellar. So, you know, we tried an older, um, I can't remember what kind of it was, but uh, another country wine that he had had, that he had bottled maybe two years ago, maybe last year, we got to try another mead that he had from his cellar. So I think in all the cases where we had to bottle something, we ended up being able to try uh, uh, an aged version of that. And were many of these then, as you kind of hinted at with, like, say, the miso from previous classes, like you're, you're tasting the work from um, previous students? Yeah, the salty miso, we got to taste, you know, previous, previous batches. But um, we also discovered that we, most of us really liked the, the sweet miso, the young miso. So, so the one that we, the miso that we started in the very beginning of, of the class, a week later, we were using it uh, for lunches. Oh, really? Even, so just a, just a week? Yeah, just a week. I really, yeah, I think everyone should try misos that are a little shorter. Like I think under six months, especially like they don't have to go really long. I mean, it's great to be able to use them. So I really like the idea. I've never actually tried one at one week. So I'm going to have to going to have to try that. Well, and part of the the great thing about the residency is that, you know, it's it's okay to try stuff early and and that was what we got to do was pick, you know, try different things at different stages and I think that's that's one of Sandor's sort of mantras is like try it, see where you like it, you know, you might you might like it young, you might like it you know, older, you might like it super salty. You might not like it that salty. And, and it's really like an individualized, I think his method is that it's an individualized taste for everything. Um, I think, I think one of the things people really, really like about him and that's so great and charming is that he is really, really open about what fermentation is or can be for an individual's practice, like to try different things, to not be afraid of getting it wrong or, you know, afraid of uh, using an, an incorrect recipe or having to use a strict recipe at all. And I think sometimes, at least uh, beginners that I sometimes talk to that have, have found his books, it's kind of a split. There are the people that, uh, like, say myself, like, I just 
fall in love with uh, his way of teaching fermentation. And, um, you know, and I was at one of his workshops many years ago. And um, I like that style of just experimentation and, and pretty much playing with food to a certain extent. But then there's other people I find that are a little bit challenged by that. They just want the specifics. They don't really want to they don't feel comfortable experimenting, at least not in the beginning. They just, they want to know what to do. And so sometimes frustration sets in with, uh, with some of uh, Sanders writing. Did you find anyone in the workshops or, or at the, the residency that was like, they just wanted to know the answer or was everyone really just, really just going for his, his method? Hmm. I, I can't remember anyone specifically who, who said, you know, tell me exactly how much though, um, yeah, I think everyone has different attitudes about it, and it's important to remember that, especially you know, teaching workshops or being in a workshop, it's important to remember that people have their own level of comfortability, comfortability about all these things, uh, you know, including recipes or, say, things like mold or you know, some of the grosser factors like Sandor's totally fine with scraping off an inch of mold to get to the good kraut. Um, there's actually a funny story where he had this hundred pound barrel full of um, turnip and radish kraut and uh, most of it had gone bad and we had to go and fish out the good ones and eventually dump out quite a few pounds of, of uh, kraut that had gone bad um, and you know, a lot of it was really gross, but we had been eating it the whole time and it was quite delicious apart from, you know, the, the more unpleasant things that had happened to it. So, uh, just seeing that, I think you realize like, you know, there's, there's a, a range of like, what's, what's allowable for certain people to get into, well, and I, I have to think that everyone that attended your residency would, would have just, it, it, I think being surrounded by um, that mindset and that, you know, food isn't something to fear, that this is all okay. And then, you know, it's pretty much going by taste a lot of times. I I have to only assume that it just had to be even easier for all of you to just kind of accept this stuff over a three-week period of time. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And like I said, you know, everybody was was at a different level of their fermentation experience. Um most people had a, a a decent amount of experience and some people are, you know, brewing kombucha commercially or doing, um, you know, practicing fermentation in their, their everyday life um, for, for quite a long time. So, so those people maybe are a little more familiar with, with how things can go <laughs> with, with fermentation and uh, what to expect. So then what about yourself? Uh, comfortability with, uh, are you still vegan? And if so, did you, did you participate in any, did you do any meat fermentation? No, I'm, I'm an om- omnivore now. And in fact, everyone there uh, ate, ate meat. There was not a single vegetarian. However, you would be totally comfortable as a vegetarian there. I, I don't want to scare anyone off. We did um, cover meat fermentation and we fermented a, a balo balo, which is the Filipino um, rice. And we used shrimp and uh, squid in that crock ferment. And it ferments for, I think we fermented it for three days. So it was pretty fishy, but, um, but it was good. It was quite good. And uh, so, so there is some meat fermentation, but I think if you're a vegetarian, there's 
absolutely plenty to eat because in that area, you know, there's, there's a lot of different farms and people around the residency that supplied our vegetables and bushels of vegetables would just show up on a constant basis. So we would get, you know, a surprise, uh, bunch of, of, uh, rainbow chard or, you know, eggs would just show up. And so it was really cool to make food. If you're used to living in a city um, and, you know, maybe going to your farmer's market or just getting what's available, it's, it's, you know, quite an experience to go somewhere where um, everything is local and, uh, you know, delicious, fresh vegetables um, are just showing up at the, at the doorstep. And it really sounds like you're kind of, living that ideal of fermentation with using it as preservation. So it sounds like abundance of certain things were showing up. And then did you get to learn how to use those specific things? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the rainbow chard we turned into a kimchi. Um, and then, yeah, there were plenty of other things that, that it was always based on what's available, except for the occasions where, you know, some people in the class wanted to try something in the book that we had to get a special... Uh, special ingredient for but other than that it was entirely based on a localized um, uh, food economy and then beyond the food itself i mean just this experience of three weeks um did you i mean guess what was the most memorable or perspective changing experience that you could take away from this that may or may not have been connected to the actual food but just the you're, you're with 11 ish other people for three weeks what would you take from it oh gosh i mean I think just the the pace of life and how um, I mean everything was was really incredibly magical. So I think taking away from that is is envisioning maybe my future life involving um, uh, hopefully at least a garden or maybe having a goat or whatever, but also involving community because it was it's such a, a a close community. So it's right near Short Mountain Sanctuary, which is uh, the earliest queer community on this in Short Mountain. And there are other queer communities around that have come up around there. So, you know, it's really an amazing place to be where there are all kinds of uh, um, sort of diverse experiences and people wanting to share um, a kind of communal living and just sort of be free of the muggle world. Um, (laughs) And, and so I think like just reflecting on that in, in my normal city life is, is kind of like a getaway Um, and, and just taking, taking away that wonderful experience and having a memory of it, but also seeing how it can be a part of my future. Now, that's also another aspect. You live in the city now, but uh, you even kind of mentioned uh, Knoxville. Uh, when you were younger, as far as I understand, you grew up in Tennessee. What is kind of the difference in this this area? I mean, uh, I have to assume that it's drastically different um, intentional um, communities out in what sounds like mountain sort of areas. I mean, what's what's that like, the rural intentional communities versus the Tennessee that you knew? Yeah, I rebelled against the Tennessee that I knew. I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, and you know it's it's a very meat eating culture, and there's not, um, uh, well, at least growing up, there 
around me there wasn't a whole lot of awareness about food and, and where it came from. So simply that fact that, you know, it's this concentrated group of people that are um, very aware of uh, living intentionally and, and providing, um, being able to do things as a community and, and sustain that community. And, and, you know, especially like I was, as someone who identifies as queer, I was aware of, of that specific ident- uh, intentional community, but I hadn't ever visited. So it was really, really exciting for me to be in a place where everyone could be who they are. And, um, you know, it's it's very much unlike the Tennessee that I grew up with, but also unlike my everyday life in in New York. So it was it was just a really special place for me to to get to go to. Is it somewhere that is, if you don't mind answering, is it enough to just kind of experience that um, as kind of like a every once in a while? Like, does it does it help you get through the the city life or does a part of you kind of like the rural living and might go towards that at some point? Well, I think it's like, and I, I think it's an idealistic thing for me to say, uh, yes, I'd love to go do that because of course there are, I'm sure, a lot of hardships doing it. But, um, but I can see... Yes, I fell in love with it, and I could definitely see at least trying to to go to intentional communities and spend time um, more frequently. Um, living there, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that will be part of my life. But it's it's an incredibly magical thing, I think, to experience. So then, with your with your life as an artist and as a teacher, and so how has your art been affected, if at all, by um, incorporating fermentation into your into your life? I mean, does it have any overspill into, into this or even just this magical experience that you've talked about? Has it changed your perspective on anything that you're currently working on or that plan to work on in the future? So my work has always been influenced by science and my interest in science, but um, that's moved from, you know, a dabbling interest in astrophysics and, you know, maybe robotics and sort of technology to an interest in, in organic life. And uh, that came about through my use of materials and how I just, I started making things that looked a little more organic, a little more like, like life forms, maybe from another planet or maybe from this planet, but ones, ones that we haven't seen yet. Um, that's, that's typically how I think about my work. And as I started to get into fermentation, um, my wife bought me a microscope so that I could start viewing my ferments and uh, uh, taking videos and pictures of different cultures. So uh, I've been, you know, just really fascinated by observing the the microbes under under the microscope. And I intend right now it's just uh, influential to my work visually, but I do intend for it to become a bigger part. So I'm I'm developing so things are in the works for uh getting some some live cultures into into what i'm doing Ooh, that sounds uh i'm, I'm actually <laughs> interested to see what that's gonna be maybe me too <laughs> i don't know yet it's it's totally in the works but i have 
I have some ideas and I'm, well, I'm really inter- interested in, in showing people, um, and, and having them taste and experience a durational, um, the, the temporal aspect of food fermentation, just how pretty it is to see, uh, something change color or change in texture. And so those visual aspects of it, along with the hidden world of, of the microbes, um, I think are really interesting things to incorporate into uh, an art format and, and hopefully introduce the public, um, at least through viewing, if not through tasting or, or direct teaching, um, to, to introduce it in an artistic way is, is sort of maybe a different take on how people will start to see um, fermentation and, and as as a as a sculpture in this case. Well, and a little bit more concretely, like this microscope thing. I'm actually kind of really curious about this. What you sent me an image of your your video of of a little bit of kimchi that you had um, recorded uh-huh. from your microscope. What kind of magnification are you using? Like, if a person wanted uh, to to start exploring microbes, what do they need? So, um, I have a compound microscope. It has three objectives, so three different magnifications. You need a microscope with at least 400 magnification to be able to see the forms of the microbes. Um, In order to identify them, you have to go up even higher. So those are more expensive um, microscopes to get. But if you're really into it, like a thousand magnification would be um, something to to look for, a a microscope to look for. and then there, the other ways of identifying uh, microbes I've never done, but um, I saw on your blog that uh, you talk a little bit about staining. So, you know, then you, that's a whole other thing to learn how to, how to do staining, which, which I don't know. <laughs> Just at least seeing them in their, you know, rod or spherical forms moving around is fascinating enough. And I could, I could watch the videos for too long, probably. I think it's crazy because microscopes and the ability to see microbes has been something that's been around yeah. for so long, but I think so many people never have, or the only microbes that they've ever seen are in commercials for antibacterial soap or different stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. it's like this stuff, even it's kind of like a mind flip. It's like, I know this stuff is living. I know there's stuff in here, but it's like, it's active. There's a lot of stuff going on here. It's really active and it's swimming because when you see, uh, microbes in their, in their substrate, you know, habitat, they're just flowing along. Like they have, it's, it's like they're constantly in a river, you know, they're just swimming everywhere, um, in a, in a liquid, uh, uh, a liquid well you have to view it as a liquid in order to to see it so so when you're looking at it they're just flowing around everywhere and it's it's uh it's kind of a a, a neat dance that they do but i like to think of it as a <laughs> as a dance yeah it's uh yeah depending i mean probably at the point when you're seeing it like as fermentation it's probably not a war dance at that point but you know no, it's like things no, have right. already been settled and everyone's peaceful and doing their doing their thing well but, i call it that because actually so i'm i'm teaching and i'm teaching kids and um some of the activities that i am planning in in my fermentation workshops for kids you know have to do with um what 
what will get them interested in and excited about learning about fermentation and thinking about activities that are uh, that involve learning about microbes. And so, you know, one thing is like a microbial dance. And so watching, watching the microbes do their thing and then doing, doing a dance like the microbes. I think, you know, there, there are ways to plug kids into learning about microbiology um, that can be really fun. And you have, as far as I understand, taught your first of these workshops for kids. How did it go? Yes, I taught my first workshop yesterday for my building. There were a lot of kids in the building, and they knew that I had gone on this really exciting residency and that I had learned a, a lot of things. And so a lot of the families wanted to uh, hear about, about what I learned. And my interest is in, is in you know, teaching kids or working with kids and parents um, on on how to how to make different things or just on the basic science of it. So we did some fun activities. I had them come in and and on a poster they identified the fermented foods that they had tried before and which ones they liked. And then we played uh, an act, we did an activity on the stinkiest foods uh, in the world. So I had cards made up with um, some of the smelliest ferments, including, of course, the strumming and natto. And um, and they each chose a card and asked the kid next to them, "Would you like to try some?" And then they read the card. So it that was really cute, and they were all grossed out by it. And, uh, and then we, I taught them how to make a sourdough starter. I call it a pet um, because I, I'd like for them to think of it as as just something that sort of happens, like uh, something that they can take care of and pay attention to. But their parents don't really have to be concerned about cooking with it if they're not interested in doing that. It's just more of fun uh, science activity. So. Um, so I think, you know, making, starting a sourdough starter is, is something they can do very easily. And then we made sauerkraut. So it was for ages seven and up. And I think we had seven through nine year olds here. So it was great. And that's, I, I love some of those ideas you have because like that stuff that I adult teaching adults is, is great. And I love doing that, but like, like kids, I really want to do workshops for kids and, and you have so many ideas and perspectives of, of what actually is going to work for the kids. You know, like I kind of like your idea of using cards for the stinkiest things. Like for me, like, of course I want to go to like the ultimate gross factor and, and show them the actual, like have them actually smell the actual thing. But right. Well, they smelled kimchi and they thought that was pretty gross and they didn't really want to try kimchi and I made it mild for them actually. Like, what? but, uh, <laughs> I am so I mean, amazed. Like, I don't, I don't know what it, I guess, do you think kimchi smells? Yeah, but I don't okay. think it smells bad. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. Yes. It's, it's a strong smell. <laughs> and that's, that's something that I, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around because it's, it's one of those things that I loved the smell right away. So I don't mm. know. I must just be a little weird about that. And kimchi wasn't one of my first ferments. So maybe that has something to do with it too. But, um, I just wonder if it's like some of those receptors, like, you know, like some people's piece, they can smell, uh, after eating asparagus and it right. smells weird and other people don't. And I just wonder if I'm, I'm missing something. Um, that other people are getting from their kimchi. Going into it, I knew that kids might be a little bit squeamish about certain things, but I, I think just 
showing it to them, having them smell it, and maybe try it is is enough. You know, like with kids, you have to be pretty flexible and say, if you don't want to try it, it's fine. Just smell it and look at it and help me make it. And ease them into the idea of like, okay, I can try that now. You know, um, I think it, I think it takes some repeated experiences with, with that thing. And also there's strong flavors. So kids are experiencing something different than we are. Yeah. And I also love your idea about the pet, like having it, the sourdough, yeah. <laughs> the concept of a kid. I mean, the, the interests or the necessity to keep something alive are much different. Mm-hmm. Like sourdough for an adult. I highly doubt there are many people that are going to keep it alive just to watch it bubble. Um, they're probably only <laughs> going to, <laughs> oh, oh, so it's, do you, do you even, but you make the sourdough. No, right? no, I do bake with okay. it. And, and I, I, yeah, I baked some really, I'm very proud of my sourdough bread and, and hope to replicate my, <laughs> my sourdough bread baking, but you have to have 12 hours to do it. Yeah. So I, so I bake with it, but I also just am still fascinated that it's, it's this thing that bubbles as with all the ferments, there's a really simplistic, exciting element to, to watching it happen. More people need to get out and explore this. So I'm glad that you're sharing it with people. And and where should people go if they want to find out more about what you're doing, your art, your teaching, everything? So my art can be seen at www.senash.com. I'm also, I participate in the New York City Ferment Meetup Group. And that happens every first Monday of the month. So it's happening um, in November. We're doing kimchi Thanksgiving. And I don't know what December is, but if anybody in New York is listening, then please come to the meetup group. I'm not an organizer, but I do love the group. <laughs> um, and then uh, there will be a Brooklyn fermentation festival, but I think we have yet to know exactly where that is. And then um, I'm currently in a show called Obsolescence. I have one piece in in that show, and that's in Jersey City at Art House Productions Gallery through November 30th. Awesome. So all of those will also be in the the show notes as well. Everyone can get those there. But in in closing, with everything that we've covered, um, if anyone's still interested, but maybe on the fence about, oh, should I go to one of Sanders residency programs in the summer or not? Like, do you have any closing thoughts or experience why like everyone should attend this if at all possible? Yeah, I think I think that everyone who wants to take some time out of their life to really, really get into fermentation and, um, you know, camp and get the full experience of being outdoors and spending time with other people who are very skilled and very excited about fermentation. Um, you know, it's it's really the experience of a lifetime, and I can't understate that. So if you're if you're on the fence, just question yourself about how much do I love fermentation and how much do I really want to learn about it. And if your answers are, I'm so passionate about this, I can't wait to go, then then apply. So there you heard it, everyone. Get out there and apply. So thank you so much for sharing your experience and thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you. And like I said, all of these will be in the show notes. You can find those at firmup.com slash podcast slash 88. And you can also uh, get in contact with us at firmup on Twitter, at firmup on Facebook, and anywhere else at firmup. And until next time, firm up.